everyone. Welcome to the Yukon Internal Medicine Podcast. My name is Rithika and I'm a rising PGY2. We're back with the third episode of the Intern Survival Series, where we try to teach our newest and brightest how to eat an elephant one bite at a time. As alluded to in our previous episode, today we'll be discussing ICU presentations. Let's be honest, the ICU is a place many of us don't venture to as med students, but are required to dive right into as interns. The ICU is filled with inordinate amounts of physiology, pathophysiology, action, and is rife with procedures for all the palm crate junkies out there. The expectations and ergo detail required while presenting on ICU rounds is much higher because of how much sicker the typical ICU patient is compared to a floor patient. The main difference which exists between the floor and ICU presentations is the assessment and plan. Given the complexity of these patients, the assessment and plan is presented as a systems-based approach as opposed to problem-based. That said, you'll be able to appreciate some differences in the reporting of the objective section as well. Before we go any further, I have to reiterate the same disclaimer as last time. Your presentation will vary depending on the preference of the attending. Some prefer all the raw data, and others prefer an abridged version with a little bit more editorialization. So, similarly last time, the presentation will be in the SOAP format, standing for Subjective, Objective, Assessment, and Plan. Subjective. HPI for new patients and important overnight events should be discussed here, inclusive of changes in pressors, slash vent requirements, agitation, and many others. Make sure you try to speak to your nurses. They have a lot of important information to report. And given that the patient will likely be intubated and sedated, this section may differ from a regular floor presentation, so you can specify their complaints if they are awake. Objective. You'll find that this section is a lot meatier than the floor presentations for good reason. You'll start it with the patient's vitals, inclusive of Tmax within the past 24 hours, followed by the associated vitals, blood pressure, heart rate, and finally, their SpO2. Next, you'll want to state the I's and O's. You can usually report this as the daily net value and since admission. If relevant or measured, be sure to specify the daily intake and output. You'll then want to report the patient's physical examination. Just as floor presentations, be sure to mention the pertinent positive and negative findings and changes from previous examinations if present. This will be followed by the drips the patient's on, so pressors, sedatives, anticoagulation, and be sure to verify the doses. The patient's on a ventilator, you can report their settings in the following way. Mode, volume or pressure control. Depending on the mode, you'll need to specify certain vent settings. So if it's volume control, you'll need to specify their tidal volume, respiratory rate, FiO2, and PEEP. If it's on pressure control, you'd want to specify their inspiratory pressure, peak pressure, tidal volume, respiratory rate, and FiO2. Next is the part that everyone's most eager to present, lab values. When patients are in the ICU, they'll have a standard set of daily labs, inclusive of BMP, CBC, MAG, FOSS, and sometimes an ABG if they're here for acute hypoxic respiratory failure and are on a vent. Similar to floor presentations, be sure to report the lab values relative to their previous values to demonstrate a trend in the findings if relevant, and avoid the urge to comment on anything more than reporting the values. You'll do this in your assessment and plan. Finally, be sure to follow up on any cultures and new imaging if applicable. Also, this sometimes gets overlooked, but always make sure to observe the patient's glucose trend to ensure they're remaining within their goals in case their insulin requires adjustment. Assessment. Again, similar to floor presentations, this is the moment to tie everything together. It's usually a one-liner inclusive of the patient's irrelevant past medical history and active hospital issues with any current or previous major interventions. This can be presented on the first day of the patient's time in the unit if the attending prefers, but this is typically foregone in the subsequent days as everyone gains more familiarity with the patients. But again, really tailor your presentations to your attending's preference, so that's going to vary from person to person. Plan. Finally, this is the part we've all been waiting for, the most important part of your ICU presentation. Like I mentioned earlier, this part will differ significantly from your floor counterparts because the ICU patients are much sicker with multiple active issues. 
The section is split into a systems-based approach with the patient's active and relevant hospital issues assigned to a specific organ system, inclusive of, and in order, neuro, cardiovascular, respiratory, fluids, electrolytes, renal, GI, endocrine, ID, hemonc, and only if relevant, room, tegumentary, HEENT, MSK, and psych. Any and all issues being managed in this hospitalization will be arranged under one of the systems. So plan for sepsis will be discussed in the ID section, but the plan for hypotension in the setting of septic shock will be addressed in the cardiovascular section. Although this method can become repetitive, it is thorough ensuring that nothing is missed in the care for these patients. Additional points of information to present are the patient's prophylaxis measures, or the bundle in some units. That'll include their DVT prophylaxis, ulcer prophylaxis, ventilator-associated pneumonia prophylaxis, and analgesics, in addition to best practices. So, for example, does the patient have a Foley, central line restraints, etc. Without further ado, let's get into our examples. Similar to last time, we'll run through the HNP and demonstrate how that differs from a progress presentation. On to our HNP. As a disclaimer, this is not a real case. Dolores Umbridge is an 88-year-old female with extensive past medical history of hypertension, hyperlipidemia, type 2 diabetes, and CKD stage 3 who presented to the ED with dyspnea. The patient resides at an assisted living facility and was observed to develop worsening mental status in the days prior to presentation associated with decreased PO intake. On arrival to the ED, the patient was hypoxic to 85%, initially on 4 liters, but she decided to 65 and was placed on 12 liters non-rebreather. Given this, she was emergently intubated. The remainder of her vitals were significant for Tmax of 102.5, tachycardia to the 120s, and hypotension with blood pressure in the 80s over 40s despite a 2.5 liter fluid bolus. Additionally, her labs were notable for creatinine of 1.6, potassium of 5.6, leukocytosis 17, procal of 1.46. Her CT chest demonstrated right basilar opacities, and a UA was positive for nitrites and large leukocyte esterase. While in the ED, the patient was started on bank cefepime and received 2.5 liters normal saline, 2 grams of calcium gluconate, 5 units of insulin D5 per the hyperkalemia protocol. Of note, the patient's repeat potassium on arrival to the unit was elevated to 6.1 with EKG changes, for which she received an additional 2 grams of calcium gluconate and 10 units insulin with D5. So for vitals this morning, the patient remained febrile with a Tmax of 101.5 and she was tachycardic to the 110s. Blood pressure is 120s over 80s. Her urine output's been low overnight at less than 10 cc's per hour. On physical exam, the patient's intubated and sedated, responsive to tactile stimuli. On auscultation of the heart, the patient's rhythm was regular and I was not able to appreciate any murmurs. She has diminished lung sounds in the right base, her belly is soft, non-distended, and she doesn't have any appreciable sacral or lower extremity edema. Her foley is minimally putting out cloudy urine. With respect to drips, the patient's on 0.03 levo and vaso. She's sedated with 20 of propofol with a RAS of minus 1. For vent settings, she's on volume control with a tidal volume of 500, respiratory rate 14, FiO2 of 65, and PEEP of 5. Her labs this morning are significant for potassium of 5.9, creatinine of 1.9, leukocytosis 16.4, and an HNH of 13 over 31. Her post-intubation ABG revealed pH of 7.37, PaCO2 of 42, and PaO2 of 88. Finally, her post-intubation chest x-ray re-demonstrated right greater than left basilar opacities. So for assessment and plan, Dolores Umbridge is a 77-year-old female history of hypertension, hyperlipidemia, diabetes, and CKD stage 3, who's admitted for a septic shock of unclear etiology on pressors and acute hypoxic respiratory failure likely secondary to aspiration pneumonia. Hospital course thus far has been complicated by AKI and hyperkalemia. So for neuro, the patient is intubated and sedated. Um, we'll continue with propofol for sedation and we'll wean it as tolerated for a goal RAS of 0 to minus 1. 
from a cardiovascular standpoint, hypotension secondary to septic shock. She initially came with pressures in the 80s over 40s, received the full sepsis bolus, but was still hypotensive. Her pressure requirements have continued to escalate since arrival to the ICU, initially at 0.01 of Levo, and now she's up to 0.03 with Vaso. And her current sepsis workup is significant for multiple sources, an aspiration pneumonia versus a UTI. So we'll continue with Levo and Vaso. We'll wean the pressures as tolerated for a goal map greater than 65, and we'll continue managing her sepsis. For hypertension, home regimen consists of amlodipine 10 and lisinopril 20. We'll hold both of them in the setting of shock and AKI. And for hyperlipidemia, we'll continue her home with orvastatin. From a respiratory standpoint, the patient's acute hypoxic respiratory failure likely secondary to aspiration pneumonia. So initially came in desatted to the 85s, um, required non-rebreather, and then was ultimately intubated given persistent hypoxia. Her post-intubation ABG revealed appropriate response to intubation, and her CT chest and post-intubation chest x-ray still show the right greater than left basal opacities. Additionally, the patient was observed to have declining mental status prior to admission, which suggests early aspiration events with worsening on arrival to the ED. So right now we're continuing her on the vank and cefepime, started initially on the 28th. We'll follow up the sputum cultures, monitor her daily ABG, and then we'll keep her at a goal SpO2 greater than 95%. From a GI standpoint, we have her on IV PPI daily and a daily bowel regimen. From a fluid electrolyte renal standpoint, the patient has AKI on CKD stage 3 and persistent hyperkalemia. Baseline creatinine of 1.2, which peaked to 1.9 on presentation. Um, given the market hypotension on presentation, her AKI is likely secondary to shock and is pre-renal in etiology. In the interim, the patient's potassium has remained elevated despite multiple administrations of the hyperkalemia cocktail. Most likely differential for that includes AKI-induced hyperkalemia. We can consider renal ultrasound if renal function continues to worsen despite adequate fluid resuscitation. So given that, we'll start the patient on maintenance fluids, LR of 100 cc's per hour. We'll follow up on urine studies, follow up on a nephrology consult, an evening BMP, bladder scan her Q6, um, and then we'll watch her daily BMP, avoid nephrotoxic meds, we'll renally dose meds, and then get strict eisenose. From an endo standpoint, she has a history of type 2 diabetes. Her most recent A1C was 11.12 two months ago, and her home regimen consists of Lispro 7 units TID with meals and Glargine 40 units at bedtime. We'll put her on a severe sliding scale, we'll get finger sticks every six hours, and then use the hypoglycemia protocol. From a hemong standpoint, the patient has a leukocytosis, which is likely secondary to infection, which will be discussed in the ID section. From an ID standpoint, the patient has septic shock, likely secondary to a mixed picture of aspiration pneumonia and a UTI. Her workup on admission was significant for right greater than left basal opacities as seen on CT chest and post-intubation x-ray, in addition to a UA that revealed pyuria and bacteria suggestive of UTI. So right now, we'll continue the patient on bank and cefepime, started initially on the 28th. We'll follow up blood, urine, and sputum cultures, and MRSA swab, and then we'll watch her WBC and fever curve. So for best practices, the patient's on SCDs for DVT prophylaxis, IV protonics for also prophylaxis, head of bed greater than 30 degrees, she has a Foley, she has a right IJ central line, and then two peripheral IVs, and she's full code. For disposition, the patient maintains requirement of ICU level care. All right, so on to our progress presentations. The patient's evening BMP revealed a potassium of 6.3, for which she received another 2 grams of calcium gluconate and 10 units of insulin. Her EKG once showed hyperkalemic changes, and the patient's repeat potassium remained elevated to 6.1, so nephrology was consulted overnight and recommended initiating emergent dialysis if the family agreed. The patient's husband was contacted multiple times throughout the night but was not reachable. We're awaiting the repeat potassium on morning labs, but the patient's telemetry strip no longer has peak T waves. 
For vitals, the patient has a T-max of 99.7, blood pressures in the 120s, 140s, over 80s, over 90s, and heart rates in the 90s. She's on 0.02 of Levo and Vaso, um, and is on 20 of fentanyl, and is on day 3 of Revanc and Cepapim. The patient remained oliguric overnight at less than 10 cc's per hour and put out 500 cc's urine yesterday, net positive 2.2 liters in submission. The patient continues on volume control with a tidal volume of 500, rate of 14, FiO2 of 60%, and PEEP of 5. On physical exam, she continues to have diminished lung sounds in the right greater than the left base, and her heart sounds are normal, belly remains soft. As compared to yesterday, she has now 1 plus pitting edema in her sacrum, and her fully continues to put out minimally cloudy brown urine. Her labs this morning are significant for an increase in creatinine to 2.7 from 1.9, potassium of 6.4 from 6.1, white count of 13 from 16.4, and an H&H of 12.9 over 30. Patient's FEurea is 66%, and ABG showed pH of 7.38, CO2 39, and a PaO2 of 94. Her MRSA and blood cultures returned negative, and urine culture was significant for ESBL, awaiting sensitivities. So for our assessment and plan, this is our 77-year-old female admitted here for septic shock, likely secondary to aspiration pneumonia and UTI, hospital course further complicated by acute hypoxic respiratory failure, likely secondary to aspiration, AKI, and hyperkalemia. So from a neuro standpoint, the patient remains intubated and sedated. She's on 20th propofol. She's still responsive to tactile stimuli. We'll keep her goal RAS of 0 to minus 1. From a cardiovascular standpoint, her hypotension likely secondary to septic shock, which is improving with decrease in her pressor requirements. We'll continue her on the levo and vaso, keep her goal map above 65, and then we'll continue to manage her sepsis. From a hypertension standpoint, we're still holding the patient's home meds, and we're continuing the patient's home atorvastatin for her hyperlipidemia. From a respiratory standpoint, for her acute hypoxic respiratory failure secondary to aspiration pneumonia, the patient's vent requirements decrease marginally, and we're continuing to treat her aspiration pneumonia with vancencephalopine. We're still awaiting sputum cultures, and we can follow up a spontaneous breathing trial if she maintains her saturations in this trend. From a GI standpoint, we're continuing her on her IV PPI daily and bowel regimen for prophylaxis. And from a fluid electrolyte renal standpoint, for AKI on CKD stage 3 and her persistent hyperkalemia, given the fact that the patient's FEurea is 66% with minimal urine output and refractory hyperkalemia, she has likely progressed to ATN from her perineural insult. Per nephrology, the patient's a candidate for emergent dialysis pending consent from the family. So the goal for today is to get consent from the patient's husband for trialysis placement. We'll trend her potassium every four hours and we'll correlate with the EKG findings. We're continuing her on her maintenance fluids, LR of 100 cc's an hour, and then we'll continue to bladder scan her Q6. From an endo standpoint, the patient's sugars remain well-controlled between the goal of 140 to 180, so we'll continue her on the severe sliding scale and check her finger sticks every six hours. From a hemong standpoint, the patient maintains leukocytosis, likely in the setting of resepsis. And from an ID standpoint, the patient's septic shock, secondary to aspiration pneumonia versus UTI. Thus far, the patient's blood cultures have been negative, but her urine culture grew ESBL, awaiting sensitivities. Right now, we're still awaiting the MRSA swab, so if that returns negative, we can discontinue her vancomycin. We'll continue to follow up the urine culture sensitivities, and we'll continue to follow up her blood cultures so far. So from the 28th, there's been no growth till date. Additionally, we'll follow up on her sputum culture and keep an eye on her WBC and fever curve. For best practices, DVT prophylaxis, we have her on SEDs. For also prophylaxis, she's on her IV protonics daily. Um, head of bed is greater than 30 degrees, and she maintains a Foley with the right IJ central line and two peripheral IVs, and she's still full code. Um, the patient still maintains requirement of her ICU level care. So here are some pearls for you. 
A lot of the pearls from our floor episode hold true when presenting ICU patients. Keep subjective, subjective, objective, objective, and read the room when reporting unchanging values or findings from the previous day. This is less of a pearl and more so standard practice, but make sure you're checking your blood, urine, sputum cultures daily for five days after they've been collected. They can grow anything in this time. It helps to arrange the summary tab in EPIC in order of the objective findings you'll report. This makes your pre-charting and presenting much easier. The nurses will likely accompany you on rounds and can present pertinent information in case you don't know or aren't aware. If not them, your resident is always there to come in with the assist. Involving them in the rounding process helps and improves with teamwork and making the patient care safer. People often print out the assessment and plan from the previous day to aid them with their presentation. While pre-charting and pre-rounding, try to add updates to the section based on your findings so that you present a more cohesive plan on rounds. This will also streamline your note writing afterwards. Finally, it's okay if you don't know the labs or micro when presenting. This information can be looked up easily. You'll, however, be maybe one of two people who would have seen the patient that morning, so it's very important to ensure that you perform the physical exam thoroughly because that's what the team might be relying on for for the initial presentation until the attending performs their physical exam. As you can tell, ICU presentations are much more detailed than their floor counterparts. They will invariably take longer than the floor presentations, and that's okay because it's the nature of the beast. That's all I have for you today. Stay curious, and until next time. All opinions and views expressed in our podcast are entirely the responsibility of the authors and do not necessarily represent the opinions or views of anyone else, including other staff, faculty, residents, fellows, or students in the Yukon Department of Medicine. The content presented is only for educational purposes and should not be taken as medical advice.